Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Today we're talking to Daniel Major of GoVX Uranium about the 232 petition and the uncertainty in the marketplace. We talk about the 90-day working group in terms of its remit and possible outcome, plus the basic rules of mining and how they apply to the uranium space. Daniel gives us his investment hacks, plus we discuss uranium stocks and how they correlate with the main stock market. Hi Daniel, how are you sir? I'm very good. Here in Vancouver, ready for the Sprott Conference. Four days of fun in the sun. Well, I, I hope you do get the sun. Um, always enjoy our catch-ups, but um, obviously quite opportune. It's post-232 announcement and right smack in the middle of the 90-day working group. So yeah. why don't we kick off with that? Okay, 232, are you going to tell me you expected that result, are you? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say I'm that smart, but, you know, I mean, in our calls, I've always tried to set out both sides of the camp here and explain why I thought it would not succeed, that there was a bigger issue here. Um, and I think ultimately that's what's played through. Uh, the way it was announced, I I don't, the working group to me kind of, there's two ways of looking at this. Is this just purely a can kicking exercise? You know, couldn't make a decision for 232. Let's kick the can down the road, but we've done, we dealt with 232 per se, the documentation but we just kicked the can down the road for 90 days. I've got another 90 days to think about it and worry about it in the future. That is my concern to a degree that that's effectively, that goes both ways. That could be, I'm kicking the can down so the miners feel their love, but at the end of the day, I'm gonna dump them off a cliff anyway. Right. Or I'm kicking the can down because I wasn't ready to make that decision. I'm slightly surprised by the, the rounding argument that was put there because when 232 started, it was an application by the miners, but they very quickly turned it into a review of the nuclear sector. So what he's asking for is effectively what they did at the beginning anyway. So I, I, I think the working group to me is politics. So I just want to just once and for all remove 232 from the conversations, both asking a couple of questions. Yeah. So one, do you think it has removed any uncertainty in the market? No. No. Okay. Good. And because you still got ninety days to think about it. <laughs> well, there you go. But if you look at the way it's been positioned by some groups, won't name names, but you know, there's been a yeah. lot of discussion well, around this. Have their views. Yeah. Every everyone's right. Everyone's right. Um, my my interest is in the what the two what what the what the two three two set out to do because it was a conversation around national security i think it's been re-engineered to be a conversation around yeah. well we've started a negotiation or discussion around the nuclear industry from which we will we uranium equities companies will benefit in the us yep so it's a it's a win-win right you're not a buyer yeah okay <laughs> Okay, no. so if we look at you, what you've just said in terms of can kicking down the road, are you of the mind that there's a case of that the best outcome could be uh, a new set of working groups to discuss the specifics around energy as a whole in the US or specifically nuclear and all the vested uh, interested parties in that? Because it seems to me that there's multiple conversations that could spin out of this. And again, Coming back to the uncertainty question, well, 
Do you not but think this it, is where I'm that slightly, stays? Yeah. I think it's slightly a can-kicking exercise because when you looked at the depositions that originally went in, they came from everywhere. The nuclear industry, the mining industry, everybody had an opportunity because they expanded it away from just the production of uranium. Mm. And they made it a big, bigger issue. So from that point of view, yeah, I do think it's kind of, all right, I need 90 days to think about this. The way it was worded coming out, you could look at it and say, quotas are off the floor. That's already been taken away. The, the defensive side of it has been removed. So, because that's what he said. That's that's the one categorical comment that came out, which is, we don't see a security issue here. Um, let's get this away. Um, where that ends up at the end of this, look, I, I don't think anyone has any context yet of what this working group is going to throw up or why. Um, I think what you might see is trying to make it easier for the miners to go into production. And I'm not talking about price. I'm thinking permitting rules, those kind of things. That might be where they go and say, you know, things have got to be commercial still, but let's make it easier for, you know, EPA filing, that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, well, let's get into that in a minute in terms of, you know, understanding what mining is like. Okay. So you're saying it, it'll bring the uranium miners more into line with conventional mining issues, you know, what other miners have to think about. Right. But, but let's talk about that in a minute. So do you think it was clear what the remit of the working group was? It was a very short statement. I haven't seen one other than a working group which will be formed to relook at the nuclear industry and the supply of material to it. Right. So you think the whole thing is pushed push down, push down the line become someone else's problem or defer the problem. Right, okay, so you, you think it could have been handled better? Uh, I, look, not knowing the detail of what they're trying to achieve, very difficult. Well, does, does anyone? That, I don't think point. so. Right. You know, I mean, I haven't seen, everyone's welcomed on the mining side, you know, the US uranium miners will welcome the working group. Right. Not many other people are rushing to welcome the, the working group. Um, because I don't think anyone, because anyone, no one else has an opinion on it. Oh no, no, I disagree. I, I disagree. I think everyone's got an opinion on it. The, the, the problem is, is oh. it <laughs> speculative? Is it hopeful? Is it a matter of pride? I think, all, I think it's all speculative at the moment, right? To be honest, uh, and that's the way I'm looking at. It. Until I see some clearer direction coming from wherever it's going to come from to tell us what's going on. Um, I think the only thing that I'm reading into the decision-making process is this concept of direct quotas for security is probably off the table. Right. Okay. That, that, that seems to be the only thing that, yeah, I mean, I could even be wrong there, but that seems to be the only thing I can see at the moment that has a degree of certainty, which is that's gone. Um, okay, so, so so let's say that's all true. Then trying to work out what a likely outcome could be is impossible because you don't know what the remit is. We don't know the extent of this. And you know there was a dialogue going on before two three two, which seemed to omit quite a few pertinent factors like the you know where the utilities companies sat and all this. You know, there's a lot of conversation around they need certainty, but no one talks about opposition to. The two, three, well, I, petition. 
they all had to put documentation in. So there were utilities putting in documentation to state their positioning on it. And they were one of the ones that were very, you know, we don't have an issue, guys. We buy from Canada more than we buy from the Soviet states. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a big problem for us. And there's so many places we can buy uranium from, you know, and, and the one point I make quite often, uh, um, and you know, I've chatted about this before, which is, you know, people have always said, you know, it's only 4% of energy costs for nuclear or 6%. But when you're not making a lot of money, anything is a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, that you, you're squeezing your margins now. You've already taken everything into account. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, you've seen um, Utah now sign off their clean energy bill, trying to support. And, you know, this is what we talked about before. You cannot be providing financial support on the one side and then up the input costs on the other side. It kind of just doesn't make any sense. And I think ultimately that was figured out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think really matthew there's there's not a lot we can more we can say on this because we really it's we're just speculation all over the place we right. just watch all i hope is that it doesn't drag out this problem and particularly cameco who said they were not going to go into the market to buy their material until section 232 was out of the way well it's out of the way but i'm not sure we're seeing a lot of cameco buying yet so maybe what this has done is also push them out further well, it's interesting. We've, we've spoken to you know, one utility and a couple of other players in the market who have said that this thing could go on for another 12, as long as 18 months, this uncertainty. Um, and who knows? This, everyone's got an opinion, okay? Um, but it, oh, yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's fascinating to me that the uranium space is in this degree of... Um, well, it's, it's unusual. It's got some unusual characteristics to it, and it's... And there's a lot, lot of moving yeah, parts, yeah. more so than any other, you know, commodity. So uh, let's hope we find out. Well, well let, let's 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 um let's talk about. So if I may just finish. There's. I've talked about some of the people who are have got vested interests. You know, whether it be funds, U.S. players, utilities, uh -huh. etc. Um, and I kind of what's fascinated me was the 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 switch in dialogue from pre two three two to the, the where it is today, and it's this optimism based on the bigger picture the supply demand picture which i think is is a good one to be basing it on yeah. um but it got me to thinking about the fundamentals of mining right the fundamentals yeah. of mining still apply and i think uranium buyers or you know yeah, yeah, equities buyers seem to forget that or certainly forget that in conversations it's rather sort of convenient to talk about the macro picture but there are going to be good companies and not so good companies and that's important mm -hmm. so why don't, why don't we talk about that? It's a kind of second, I want to call this sort of investment hacking for, inv for our investor community. So if you're looking at, okay, not, you're not a GovX person right now, you're an investor. With your investor hat on, I want you to sort of describe the sorts of things that you look for in a company uh, if, if you're going to invest in the uranium space right now. Yeah, before, before I comment on that, this actually takes us back where we were 18 months ago, you know, when you were WNA, you know, Cameco particularly was standing up at the conferences like WNA and saying, hey guys, this is the cost we're producing at. This is the cost we need to keep producing at. You know, you know, you've got closures coming. We need a better price if you want this long-term supply because nobody can afford to build anything. And we're coming back to that scenario again 
where the fundamentals of mining apply to the utilities as well, as you were saying, which is, guys, you know, I think the number we looked at is about 20% of world supply in the next 10 years is gone. It just ceases to exist. It needs to be replaced. And therefore, it needs a uranium price to justify replacing it. Um, and guys, you know, where's it going to come from if you don't up the price and the contract, you won't see it. That's the one thing. On your question, I, I mean, there's nothing different to uranium mining as there is to copper mining or gold mining or any form of mining. Mining is mining. The only difference is our operators have to wear dose meters and they don't. <laughs> and it's a real pain in the ass doing paperwork. Um, so, you know, I've, I've even done pulp and paper in my life. It's the same as mining. You crush a tree down, you bleach it out and you produce a paper from it. What's the difference to putting gold in a, in a mill, putting cyanide on it and producing a gold bar? Processes is the same. At the end of the day, you know, it comes down to the same things um, that we always have. You know, what is the quality of the asset? What is the jurisdiction? What is the management? Uh, and and the cost. Nothing is different when you look at companies. I think the only things that you're kind of looking at is timeframes here and costs. I mean, it's great. You know, uh, I mean, nobody will dispute the Canadian projects that are currently sitting out there are probably the three best mining projects that are out there. I mean, you can't dispute Denison, who's got 19% grade in their deposit that that is not a good deposit. I mean, flipping hell. Um, but, you know, this comes down to timing and cash flow. It's a great deposit, but, you know, as I said, you keep the Ferrari parked in the garage for 10 years, it's a bit boring. If you wanted to get to the shops, uh, you know, you'll take out the Ford Mondeo because you can use it to run around it. Because, you know, someone like ourselves, we've got a great project, but it's permitted and you can get going. Um, you know, and, and that, comes back to jurisdiction and understanding jurisdiction canada is a safe place it, 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 well. it is a safe place and i think within even within Athabasca, there are projects which are better than others um yes okay you know in terms of they're shallower or, or deeper you know whatever or higher grade or whatever they higher are grade yep. or you know their earlier <laughs> stage so you know the the, the stock is at a yep. price which may Left more, and if you're in, you know, if you're one of the big producers, perhaps you don't sort of see those uplifts anymore. So, you, yeah. as an investor, you need to kind of pick what your investment thresholds are and make make that decision. Um, so, I, I agree with you. You know, I, th I think you know the the ASIC is is really really important. The management team's ability to deliver is really important, um, yeah. and I, you know, encourage uranium investors to look. At the fundamental mining fundamentals before they they, they leap in, uh, not all things are born equal. Are you, so are you saying so? With regards to that, so are you saying you're kind of the because you're permitted, you're the best of the rest outside of the Athabasca? Yeah, we have one that one big advantage sitting there, um, and so I look at us and say, if I'm looking at myself compared to everybody else, what is the one thing that has us standing out against the rest? And it's I've got a permitted project; it's ready to roll. All it needs is an improved price. So I, I've got. But what are you know, putting? What are your grades? It's not just about permitted because you're going to permitted low grade, low margin. You know. Well, this cost, is the point so. I was going to make to you. You know, you look at your project and you go, all right, there, there, there's my key factor that I've got. Why is this project got real potential? And so therefore, you go, well, I can do absolutely nothing and just hope for a really high uranium price. But by the time I get a really high uranium price, 
time has gone and everybody else, I'm losing my my angle. My advantage is being equal to I. I mean, it's a bit like IP. IP lasts you for five years, and then if you haven't made your money, it's gone. Well, that's my point. And so, but what what is your? Are you just saying if you are so far down the track, kind of like Bannerman? They're so far down the track. You've got your DFS, you're, you're permitted. That gives your advantage. But if that's your only advantage, no, 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 no. That's what this is. I was going. That's where I was going to. Right. So. What we have to do and what GoVX is completely fixated on, I'm completely fixated on, which is, look, you either wait for this price or you do your damnedest to drop your costs and optimize your project. So you actually only need this price. Mm -hmm. And that is what you've got to do, which is I have a first mover advantage. I need to make sure that this company is turbocharged to take that advantage when it happens. So what have you done? Not, what have you done? So we have continue. First thing I did when I started the FS, people said, well, why are you starting? Was actually to take that opportunity and not bring in a cast of thousands, but to put a small team together that basically said, look, guys, there's your PFS. What can we do to this project that substantially changes its costing? Firstly, let's forget about 21 years of mine life because we know it's there and it's actually probably going to go for 50 years in the end. But this thing has got to pay for itself. It must pay its debt down within five years. Right. How do you change this project to pay its debt down in five years? So that's why it was important to get Miriam in, the other part of Miriam that was missing, the six million pounds that are there in measure and indicated. Because that meant the open pit was now the f longer than the debt period. So the debt guys could do that. So that basically simplifies the project that the only bit we look at is an open pit. So just, just simplify it for people who are not new. Open pit means cheaper, right? It's simple. Uh, it's simple to explain. It's cheaper, but it's simpler. Right. M banks understand it. It's digging a, literally digging right. a hole in the ground. There's less risk because it's pretty pretty much all, all at surface. Because yeah. since you go underground, there's there's uncertainty about where things are and the cost of actually getting at it. It's right? a more complex mining methodology. Exactly. Ramping up becomes more different. You know, digging with a truck and a shovel, pretty basic. Right. So that's the first great thing which has happened with you know, right, where so you plant So now we're looking at contract mining um, because I can cut out about $25 million of capital if I can get a contract miner in. What we're doing is trying to find that balance between operating cost and capital cost because you've got to get a better or same return out of your project because the contract miner is going to want a higher operating cost because he's got to take into account his profit margin and his amortization of his mining equipment. All right, so you've got to deal with that. So we're out talking to and getting quotes from almost a dozen contract miners around. Right. That's a big difference from when we did the PFS because there was nobody who wanted to contract mine in Niger. Now, there's lots of people more than comfortable to do it because Niger as a jurisdiction is becoming more and more appealing. The other thing, and silly things like the plant was designed to be under, on top of the underground because that was the biggest mass, but we have to truck to it every time. We've got to go 25 kilometers to get to the plant from the open pit. Well, why don't you just move it next to the open pit to start there? There's some longer-term benefits to that, and I won't go into detail on that now because we could talk for hours on that. The other big thing was to look at the plant and just let's say, look, guys, 50% of our costs from an operating cost and two-thirds of our capital are in the process plant. Right. If we make savings on capital, they're going to have to come out of the process plant just by scale. That's where it all sits. Operating costs. Very hard to change the mining cost a lot because, you know, it's pretty basic. Can you do anything really radical to the process costs to change it? 
our biggest issues were new technology we were applying anyway, and we wanted to make sure it worked or change it to get rid of it, to de-risk. And we were using a fairly aggressive costing approach on uranium recovering using solvent extraction. Mm -hmm. It's still built into a $24 cash cost, but it was still an aggressive way of doing it. So we basically sat down and broke that out and said, what can we do to radically change that? What's new? What haven't we spotted before? And that is what we're doing. So we're now looking at gravity. And some of these things come because of a result of what you've done before. You learn and you go, well, we did this and this and that changed. And now we have a better understanding of how material operates. You do the what if exercise. Yeah. Yeah. So as you go through, you go, well, that didn't work. But we realized what the parameter was that was causing the reaction. However, if we now apply that somewhere else, we get a radical change. So we we we're looking at a process where we'll still do radiometric sorting because it's good at clearing out. We've got a big test going on in South Africa in the next month to just check that. Mm -hmm. Then we've looked at ablation, which we were using before, but because ablation shrinks everything down to a small size, we did some dry ablation work, which we got dry ablation to work, but unfortunately it wasn't scalable. We, we, we had too many little bits of equipment. So you need 14 rigs to make the bloody thing work. Right. Like that. Get that. Lots of things but to what go we wrong. Did, yeah. But what we did realize is that gravity works. Right. I mean, like, there's a massive SG specific gravity dis difference between the background material and the uranium. We got, well, that works. So we tested that. It has a benefit because we're getting massive scale. We're getting really small mass pool. So we're mm -hmm. coming down to less than, these are initial tests and we've got to prove them up. But we, the initial test, we're showing only 20% of our material would be going through with 99.7% of the uranium. But the key was almost no calcite. And calcite eats up acid. And acid is 10% of our operating costs. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't appreciate cut, that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I can cut my acid cost down a lot. I, I'm going to save a lot of operating costs. The other important thing is it looks like it simplifies the back end of our plants as well to a much lower cost back end and smaller. So these are the things that we're kind of looking at to say, what can we do to radically change the project? Think outside the box, test it for low cost and then gradually scale it through. There's another side to this, to my brain thinking as well, which is if I simplify the process, the piloting becomes easier as well. So I'm trying to avoid some of my piloting because if I can revert completely to industry standard, I can do things on very small batches and therefore save the amount of money I need to complete the FS. Right. So I'm trying to save not on the pro just not just on the project, but how much money do I need to complete the bankable? Right. Okay. And tell me, just to finish off on some of the specifics around what you're doing in country, I noticed a press release the last week. Uh, yep. Uh, what was that? Tell us about that. Um, some very important yeah. people there. Oh, there were some important people where we got the, we got the president of the country and uh, yeah. some fairly big, big hitters from his parliament into Arlott. The president hadn't been there since 1970. Okay. So, yeah, it pulled him back to his, his roots. Yeah, we had a, a first stone laying, which was, you know, doesn't say we're going to start construction today. And even the mines minister said, look, it won't start straight away. But it was just to really highlight 
um, that the government is getting on with things um, and that we are. Um, and I, we've had this conversation before. What happened in that agreement that we did with the government was we, in exchange for not paying back um, 7 million euros that we originally owed them from the acquisition, and we disputed about $6.6 .6 million of surface right taxes. Mm -hmm. We said, look, they're not due because of various technical reasons. Yeah. We agreed to convert that into a share in the, in the project uh, with the government for a 10% stake. The intention being that in the future, we have the right to buy it back again so they get their cash back because they didn't want to actually put more equity into mining companies. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was key to the... Um, and the government made kept talking about one particular item. The president made one point repeatedly, which is he felt Niger had suffered from the injustices of the uranium pricing in the past. Um, I won't. I won't ask you what that. Means. I won't, we won't dive into that much no, more than that. But I've, I've got. What, I will. I, I will ask you in a second though about um, the French connection and etc. Iran well, and their involvement. What I was going to make to you is that you know. The government is looking for transparency and is yeah. looking for engagement. And as long as you're doing those, it wants to work and it wants to actively develop. Um, it does. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. Quite often they do love a photo op and it, it spills the papers and it's just for the voters and nothing actually happens. You know, what, you know why was this significant that they came up and saw you? Why was this significant? Because of the, the agreements that we signed with them. Right. That was the key thing because it showed that we are moving forward. They could have gone hard on us and said, no, pay up your money. You know, you owe us this money, pay it. And they went, no, this is much more pragmatic. We want this company to build. Right. Commonac is supposed to be closing. We want a new project. We want to work with you right. and get you to develop a mine. So it was very much, part of it was obviously pol politics, but part of it was actually stating we are moving forward and, and that is key. Right. So you're keeping busy. You're doing things, optimizing, getting ministry, getting the, the, the president of the country involved. But things are where they are today. Things ha things haven't moved. We talked at the beginning of this interview about uncertainty, uh, you know, still with the 90 day working group, I, you know, and I think yeah. that there will be for some time. How are you fixed in that? How long can this go on for you? At this at this current uh, rate? Well, uh, when do you need to see something move? Uh, We've gone for a long time in this yeah. process, and it's and it's and it's bought us time. I mean, if we'd have had to do this, you know, back in 2013 when we did the PFS, that would have been the project we were building. I'm. It's given me time ultimately to get a better project together, which will last for a lot longer. And you know, and then this is a point I made in my speech. You know, this is not just about producing a mine for now. This is one that can go for the next generation. It's a 50-year mine plus, and it needs to have the foundations to do that. So we can go for a, a, a quite a lot longer. Mm. Um, but again, back to it, the original comment, I don't, need to, I don't want to be waiting for this price. I want this price. You know, and, and under three million pound per annum, we don't make a lot of difference to the market, so but, we no, can get. Of course not, but you know, then we're getting a discussion about mineable ore. You know, a lot of companies have put out big numbers Big numbers, yeah. but they're not discussing mineable ore. I, what levels can they economically mine at today, next year, the year after? What do the numbers need to look like? That you know. So I think it, it, it's kind of yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at today, there aren't many people who can mine mineable ore no, today. No, no, but 
you're looking at a, trying to put together a project that one will only be in production kind of two to three years from now to start mm. with who knows what the final market will look like in two to three years you know this isn't a restart this is a new build so a lot of, and we've discussed this before what i'm looking for is that momentum the other thing that i'm looking for is to be able to take a much more interesting project i mean we have a great project but i want it to be super great because i can then go and start talking to the off takers way more aggressively because they want certainty of supply and if i present now they're going to well hey mate you're going to need much higher price so let's yeah. wait i go in and say well actually i can get away here this is the contract i want here's my nice project you can provide that greater fiscal security and the bank side so nothing really changes but like everybody else we need momentum i mean you can't you can't move yeah, yeah you need minutes. I guess the, the conversation I was getting into, not specifically about GoVX, but was about how miners manage the numbers. You know, you're talking about, you know, open pit day, you know, for the first few years of this, get get past the debt position. And then guess what? Yeah. The, the cost will go up. And I think other people take that attitude. Let's get the good stuff out of the ground, pay off the debt, get some cash flowing, you know, and, you know, and that's the way that they approach this. But it, 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 just, yeah. it really, you know, when I was, We've been looking at some studies with regards to, you know, mineable ore numbers at different levels, and obviously it's you know starts small and builds up as you go up that curve. But at some point, yeah. there's an optimal optimal number for the market. You know, you want to sell for as much margin as possible, but there's an optimal optimal level oh, yeah. for the market. Where do you think? Where do you think that is? This. We talked about this before. Mm. You know, when you asked me about you know one of the very first interview we did, and it was. You know, I I said, look, I my benchmark for this project was to get below forty five dollar uranium sure. as an incentive price. Well, that was why. And my rationale to that was Cameco, when they first closed everything down, said fifty dollars was their number to restart MacArthur River. MacArthur River coming back on is eighteen million pounds. You know, it's no small amount arriving, and the Kazakhs we know can take their material up. So I think in the short to medium term, my rationale has been Cameco will restart when they're comfortable that the market is right. Um, the one thing we haven't seen is that buying. Cameco have just upped the amount they need to buy by the end of the year by 7%. I mean, when the hell are they going to squeeze that in? That's got to have an effect. No matter what happens this mm. year, Cameco have got to meet those contracts. So I think while we're concerned about the 90 today, Cameco has got to be saying, well, at some point we've got to pull the trigger. So, so we the, have got to be buying material. So they're the guys who are going to blink first in this process. And, have to. and uh, you know, set off a series of events. That's what the, I guess everyone's hoping that, right? Well, uh, yes, and I think they will. What they didn't like to be was the only guys in the market. But I think the re reality is the US utilities now can be a bit more comfortable because there's, yes, there's a working group, but there's nothing defined. There's no Section 232 thing going on. There's a chat going on in the background. But I think more importantly is that Cameco need to buy material to and get you, what they need. And, and I mean, the, you, we've talked about, you know, dealing with the oversupply in the market at the moment, you know, e eating that up. But you think yeah. it's being eaten up at a rate which is unsustainable for very much longer. So you, you must therefore be able to put as a timeline on this when you think it's going to. I think by the end of this year, we will have seen that momentum kick into gear. I think Cameco's actions, unless something really aggressively 
comes out of the US government, which I don't expect it to occur. If they'd have done something super aggressive, I think they would have already done it. Um, I think that demand pull for Cameco will start to move things. Mm. We've seen inventories gradually coming down elsewhere. Um, you know, if you look at UXC's numbers for um, US, um, Europe, they are dropping. Um, and then if you look from next year onwards, the uncovered contracts issue starts to become a much bigger problem right. because at the moment they're relatively well covered. Europe, I think, is covered next year, but even the EU came out but because not everybody is in the same place. So some utilities are well covered, some are less well covered, and they are starting to flag, guys, those of you who are less covered should probably start thinking about getting cover in. Yeah. So I think as you move into next year, that contract market is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. I've seen, I've looked back in videos the last two, three years, the great and the good in there, quoting when it's going to turn, how much it's going to turn by. I mean, some big names in there, right? And you could argue, we're, we just got there early, we're ahead of the crowd. Or you could go, you got it wrong, guys. For three years, you got it wrong. But we're now at that point where, you know, everything's there. But so here, here's the interesting thought is, commodities have traditionally been linked to the stock market, uh, you know, and how it's yeah. preferred as a whole. Because, you know, it's a stock, right? It doesn't matter whether it's yeah. commodities or technology, or whatever, it's a stock, so it's yeah. been effective. Do you think uranium is gonna become less susceptible to the turns in the market because of the nature of what it is going to be able to allow people to do with regards to energy? I think it has the potential to do that. Um, will it react directly to it? I think given that it's, it has a single big driver behind it, hmm. um, then I would agree with you that it has that potential to do that. Um, and I think, you know, you're right. We all, you know, in various ways had all the right pieces. We were just all missing bits and pieces of it, which have had bigger effect than we've expected them to have. Um, you know, Section 232 it, it was had a, a far impact than anybody thought it was ever going to have. Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was a much more, it's a much bigger organic jigsaw puzzle than you realized. And there's a lot of people with vested interests yeah. and influence, which had not been taken into account, not not by the big funds, not by anyone in the marketplace. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, quite a, it's kind of a reality check, I think, when these moments occur. But what I'm more excited about is the fact that uranium is getting to that point. This supply demand gap story is, is, is there yeah. and the macro story is there. It's going to get to that point where you can't do without it because there's so much infrastructure being built now that even so yeah. if there was a downturn, I'm not sure uranium gets affected in the way that it perhaps once would have. No, I don't. Look, uh, again, we're predicting and sure. uh, like, but all good that's the fun it. bit, isn't it? Oh, all, all good economy. We're probably getting completely wrong. Um, look, the fundamentals are all there. The, the, the tightness in the market, the fact that you are going to have produ existing producing assets fading away, you've got about a 2% growth in demand going out there, you've going to have longer protection to the US reactors, I think you're going to see a lot of life, more, more life extensions coming through. The fundamentals are all there for the uranium market. At the macro level? At a macro level to be completely counter-cyclical if you had a falling market. Beautiful. Um, I think 
what will affect obviously was for the markets going one way and uh, is that have a dampening effect on where it could go um or is it going to completely ignore that that's going to be your factor which is a falling market does it just put a you know a break on it it will still rise but it will just rise at a slower rate because the market's not helping it absolutely so on a macro level i think everyone is in violent agreement with each other at a micro yeah. level my concern is still around in terms of this you know investment hacking type advice we we'd like to give people yeah. is look at the small stuff look at the management team look at the asset look at the economics yeah. the fundamentals those things still yeah. apply correct absolutely okay daniel thanks very much for today appreciate your time i know you're over there for this uh, spot conference which starts tomorrow yeah. so if anyone sees this today they should probably come and grab you there shouldn't they absolutely are you talking no are, problem you, at all. are you talking at the conference I'm, i have got a speech and i'm up, i'll be at the booth the govx booth for the whole time um until thursday afternoon Brilliant. Well, thanks, thanks for your time. Thanks for the insight as ever. Loved it. Uh, hopefully speak to you when you get back to the UK. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.